We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Here's your host, John Helvin. Hey, everybody. It's, welcome to the July 5th episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Um, with me today, Chad Parsons, Dynasty. We're going to talk Dynasty here. Um, Chad Parsons, uthdynasty.com. Chad, how you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks, John. You're welcome. Chad was with me last year doing this. We had a great time. We always have a great time chatting. So we're going to talk about this. Now, normally, I send a show outline to people before we start so we know what we're going to talk about, just to kind of guide the conversation. And, you know, and, and, and basically when people are prepped, I know when I talk to people and they sort of interview me, when I'm prepped, I always like it better because I think we can have a, you know, we can kind of go off on tangents a little bit, but it, it's nice to, you know, have, have a more educated, not being caught flat-footed, help, it, it, helps, it helps people more, I think, help listeners more. But I'm going to throw you a curveball right off the bat. Why, when I go on Twitter, do I feel like, Everyone is telling me to draft Corey Grant. <laughs> well, okay. Let's, it is July. Nothing's really happening. Nothing's happened for, what, about six, seven weeks. We've died down from the NFL draft. And Corey Grant's the bell of the ball. And for Dynasty especially, I mean, people flock to the next great thing. And we go back. We watch some tape. We see a few games where, where they used him more. Um, people don't like TJ Yeldon. 
and right. and Leonard Fournette gets hurt. But the reality is, what's going to happen when Fournette invariably misses a little bit of time? And they're not going to lean on Corey Grant. He's a metric marvel. Athleticism's there. I get all that. But he's subsized. They're not going to use him for more than you know eight to ten touches a game. Is that enough to really sustain? I get the dynasty interest because you go 25, 30-man rosters or more, and you gravitate towards guys like that for your final spots. I get it. But redraft? Is he actually getting drafted? I've done a few mocks, but if he's getting drafted in a normal 15 to 18-round environment for redraft, I I think that is a waste of a pick with with how I use late late spots. All right. Maybe it's the NFLs and people thinking, you know, getting him at the end and when – and I'll I'll be honest with you. I don't have a lot of context on – I haven't looked into a lot of ADPs. I just feel like – he, his name has popped up way too much in my yes. Twitter feed from fantasy analysts lately. And it's just, it's, it's kind of puzzling me. Like I, I, I can see the path to a few good games when Fournette gets hurt. Right. When you say a few good games, I mean, it's going to really depend on low touches and keeping the optimization he had because no one expect. The, here's the other thing you think about NFL defenses, Corey Grant comes in. Do they really expect anything? Are they really, focusing in to stop him so the better he does I think you see that drop down and no surprise this year because they're a creator kind of offense you know they kind of got to scheme it up and unless that changes again cloud of dust with Fournette and they're trying to do some play action that worked for a while in certain games last year but color me skeptical yeah so I don't I don't really get it and we we've seen this all the time where two three four players get sort of the juice on social media and it kind of continues because no one stops it <laughs> all right but and if anyone has any more insight as to you know why I uh, shouldn't be so puzzled about this tweet me at jhalpin 37 you can tweet chad <laughs> at chad parsons nfl um you can also get some stuff at rotowire at rotowire nfl and we're also on facebook so there's your social media housekeeping right there so um what's your normal do you have a typical dynasty strategy like if you're starting up a new league is there a you know is it is it let me see how the draft falls or do you kind of know what you're doing going in i know what i'm doing i mean i've done dozens upon dozens of real ones over the years um i break it down to three parts so just a quick synopsis here so i have the core rounds quality depth and then late rounds and it really doesn't depend how deep the draft is if it's 25 rounds or 40 rounds maybe the the rounds extend in these zones a little bit more but the core rounds the goal is not to miss because i'm trying to survive the first 12 to 18 months of the league's existence through market value because even if you know we're using last year's the barometer, fifty to you know forty to fifty percent of, of fantasy starters at any position from the year from the year before they're gone. They're going to be somebody else. So even if you're going by what we just saw, you're going to be wrong um, with about half your picks. So it's about attrition. And so if you can insulate your market value with those first five six selections, and maybe miss once, can you throw in? You can throw in maybe one guy you really have high hopes for that hasn't done it. Or a rookie that really has your eye. But if you can not miss and hit on five of your first six, you're going to be one of the top two or three teams in your league guaranteed. Just because you're surviving the opening part of your league's history. And then quality depth goes out to maybe around 12 to 14 or so. And what you want to do, I like to blend the young guys. You know, Maybe two or three guys that are up and coming, good draft, pedigree. I really like their situation and profile. And then a few, I call them uh, bridge players that... Maybe they're on a one to two year window. Michael Crabtree kind of fits that. You know, Larry Fitzgerald fits that, where I kind of know what I'm getting. I can start him year one, 
and they they kind of blend well with the the rookies and the up and coming players that that aren't yet to that stabilizing production that that I'm seeking. And then late rounds, I think, and this is something that's changed for me the last five to eight years, where I used to go. Ah, give me the wide receiver, you know, that runs a four-three. Uh, Marcus Valdez scanning uh, uh, strikes me, you know, or Equinemius St. Brown, like chasing guys that were late day three picks. But man, look at this guy—he's 220 pounds. He runs like the wind. Yeah, but the guy, you know, the guy can't play. The guy probably can't play. And he's probably <laughs> not. Like I used to get intoxicated to that profile and take five to six of those guys. Those are wasted picks. I've evolved. I've grown. I've learned. <laughs> That you need to take in the late rounds, all my research has shown, those beaten down quarterbacks, they produce. Those tight ends that are starters, basically opportunity. And running backs, take number two running backs, take number three running backs on uncertain depth charts, and take you know the Ted Ginns of the world because they're going to give you something. Yeah. So in the late, late rounds, I really like to go about 75% those type of players. And again, if I got my, my specials, my favorites, the bell, the balls, um, I'm, I'm okay going with a couple of that direction. But, and then all along the way, if there's not a clear-cut player I like, let's trade down. Let's get some future rookie picks because those are insulated. And that's an overarching, again, didn't really talk about many specific players, but the overarching strategy is there to exit with a, a strong core where you're going to be contending in the first two to three years, and other dynasty teams in your league are going to fall by the wayside just by attrition. All right, and and do you contend generally when you do this? I mean, you know, you do it for a living. I'm sure you do well, but you contend in these leagues. You like it's a pretty. You're, you're happy with your results. Oh yeah, and and I always look at it this way because I kind of build for the big picture that if I contend year one, the league's in trouble because that's <laughs> the one year that they can get you because two or three teams invariably go with a redraft sort of team build and they're going to erode quickly but yet they do have a shot to be pretty darn good in the first year because some of that known production you know larry fitzgerald's a good example will fall to a point where if you can get top 12 top 15 ppr um finish out of him he's going to go way later in in a dynasty draft because of his age than he is in redraft so so that year one is really the year to get me uh, all those uh, teams drafting and playing against me and then after that um i i chart my results and i i do in year two and year three, it really ramps up to a positive EV scenario, yeah. Gotcha. All right, everybody, what we're going to do today, we're going to talk more Dynasty than Redraft, but we're going to touch on Redraft as well because we know a lot of people listening do, do both, and probably more people do Redraft, to be quite frank, but um, we're, we're yep. going to talk about a little of both. Um, let's start at quarterback. So the rookies, who do you like best short-term and long-term? And, and, and it doesn't have to be the first-rounders, but I assume it probably will be. Oh, it will be. Um, yeah, I have three different answers here. So in 2018, I like Josh Rosen, uh, the most pro-ready guy from the pocket. And you look at – he's behind Sam Bradford. I think Sam Bradford's kind of sneaky, big picture, because he's going to get a lot of chances as the number one pick, and they paid him $20 million. He's the starter, so – but invariably, he may snap in half. And Josh <laughs> Rosen has Larry Fitzgerald. He's got a good infrastructure, and I really like Christian Kirk. More on that in a little bit. But he's my he's my 2018 shot because Baker Mayfield, I think, has the highest floor. And I'm thinking dynasty leagues. I'm thinking two QB formats, things like that, because number one overall picks, they play about a decade. You know, unless they pull the Jamarcus Russell, unless they pull the card of there's something beyond football going on or they've proven unequivocally, unequivocally that they can't play, they play a long time. But I just think it's going to be Tyrod Taylor in 2018 like he's going to get every single shot i think they're going to be more competitive and until they're not and until they're out of it 
I think it's going to be his show. Now, long term, if you are a risk taker and you are chasing the elite of the elite, I don't think Josh Rosen gets there from a fantasy sense. Lamar Jackson is intoxicating because I haven't seen this type of profile since Michael Vick. And I always say rushing production for quarterback is the fast track where even, you know, we've seen it from Alex Smith. We've seen it from a number of others that even if you hit just a certain baseline of rushing production, you're going to be a mid quarterback too. Yeah. That's the lowest. If you can't throw, you're going to be a mid quarterback too. just how we score the position. So Lamar Jackson could be, Again, what we saw from Deshaun, Jack, Deshaun Watson, again, he was mixing in high-level touchdown rate and, and passing uh, productivity and efficiency. So even without that, I think Lamar Jackson offers more uh, rushing than we saw last year from Watson. And big picture, again, if he hits, he is going to be a high QB1, I believe, at his peak. So if you're chasing the upside, he's your guy. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Like you said, I, mean, in my, I mean, Michael Vick's a great comp because as a passer he was fine fine is that fair was he even fine? no that's not well at okay at his best with Andy Reid in his ear in Philadelphia that one year he was fine every other year trust me I was a Falcons fan back in 02 04 06 when he had his big non-injured years he was just running all over the place yeah. and waiting for a defense to break down it's kind of like for people that don't remember, I, I would say it's the equivalent of Russell Wilson in moments where you see him sort of run around and eventually there's a guy wide open. Yeah. That was sort of Michael Vick at his best. And so Lamar Jackson, I mean, and Vick's even said, I mean, he is running circles around where Vick was as a passer coming out in 02. I mean, he was a ma- 01. He was a major projection. I, I believe he sat and didn't play at all during his rookie year. So I think Jackson's far, far ahead of where Vick was entering. Maybe not in pure speed and acceleration, but he's a big-time athlete, and I think he's farther along as a passer. Okay. Do you think Lamar Jackson sees the field in, in a meaningful way this year? I don't. Um, I think their plan is to wait. It may be a Patrick Mahomes-type situation where he sees one rogue start later in the year. Again, I think people overestimate. Now, maybe Darnold's the exception. I think people overestimate the projected to start. An injury changes all that. If you start out and you're 3-9, and nine, that changes everything. So it, it, unless the Ravens fall out of it, I, I don't really see them pulling the trigger. Same thing, you know, when people wanted the Giants to draft somebody and run Eli out of town. These these starters, while you may want more and they have eroded from what we saw five years ago, I, I don't see NFL teams just purely let's move on as quickly as possible when the season's in front of you, everyone is in the playoff race until you're not. And yeah. just moving on to a rookie again, this is the raw guy. So he, I'm sure we'll see him on the field, but an actual Joe Flacco sit over there, Lamar Jackson under center the entire game. I, I'm skeptical we see that until later in the year. Okay. Um, I want to talk about Josh Allen for a minute. Mm-hmm. So right now, the starter, A.J. McCarron's a starter, right? So Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Five million dollars. That's not really no. like, hey, hey, go get under center week one he, kind of money. He, he is the not as of right now, July fifth. He is the nominal starter. Correct. I'd say and light pencil. I, I was going to ask you, hey, is, was Josh Allen as bad as of a pick as I think he was? But I mean, basically, other than the Bills, did anyone think this was a good pick? And maybe the Bills will prove us wrong. But I mean, this is pretty. Like what? What do you make? Like you're, you're a dynasty drafter, so he has to factor in 
Well, one of my good friends is a is a Bills fan. He actually does the recaps for football guys, uh, Jordan McNamara. And he just, I mean, I could just imagine him putting his head on our live draft show down on the keyboard. He was like, when they traded up, he's like, he's, he knew this was for Josh Allen. And yes, it was that bad. He still hasn't gotten over it. Um, almost like one of my friends where Sonny Michelle, the, the pick for the Patriots, just doesn't understand it. That Josh Allen, I mean, this is a guy that the arm talent's intoxicating. I was up at the Senior Bowl. I mean, he's, a, he's such a great interview. You just see the smile. You see how he could be the face of a franchise. I mean, it kind of sucks you in. But then when you leave that space, you go, all right, well, let's watch the tape. And this is just the accuracy the I, I he's so up and down and that's something that doesn't I don't really see that changing I haven't I don't really have a great example of that changing in the NFL that's kind of your DNA and the fact that the biggest problem I have is it was over Rosen and it was yeah. you had options available it's not like okay it's Lamar Jackson or him and I still would have gone to Lamar Jackson like I Allen was so down on my board and the fact that he goes that high. It's the classic NFL teams think they can fix accuracy and overall feel for the pocket and game. And again, the metrics point that he's not going to be successful. And I mean, not to put it on franchises, but isn't this sort of like, you know, a, a, a bad franchise? Like, I feel like the Browns are making good choices. Yeah. And, and they are changing the course of their franchise history over the last few decades. And I feel like the Bills are going down the same path of just kind of little teases here and there. And, man, they're going to wish they had Tyrod Taylor this year. I mean, even though they cleaned house, the Bills, right. in the front office and coaching staff. Feels the same. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the, the people who liked Allen were, I mean, the, the discussion was, you know, oh, well, you know, don't just look at the numbers, watch him. Well, well and, and I, I get, you know, I mean, you need to watch tape, certainly. And most people, I know you watch more of it than I do. But this guy, I think, I feel like the argument was, but look at these spectacular plays he makes. Like, look at what the arm talent can do. But, but there's not many of those. I mean, the, right. it's, it's the nuts and bolts stuff that he kind of can't do, right? Can I, can I tell you a story about the senior bowl? So sure. I'm there, and, and this was a great year to go because you saw Baker Mayfield, who didn't have to be there, had some other responsibilities that, uh, you know, it would have been easy for him to dial out. And... For, for Josh Allen, they were on the same team. You got to see them do the same reps, the same exact things back to back all week. And it was pronounced and it wasn't even funny. And it, it was interesting to see the social media notes and blurbs where they, people would see one Josh Allen throw that gets spread around like wildfire. And then Baker Mayfield just goes about his business and you don't hear much about it or about, oh, he showed up late and, and no one cares <laughs> to know why. And then you get... So, so they would do reps, and from the very first practice half-speed rep, Baker Mayfield was doing advanced things. He was already looking off pretend safeties. <laughs> Again, in sort of half-speed, senior bowl, day one, walk-through type reps. And he was more accurate to the target, on, again, on the other side of the field, doing NFL things, things that need to happen. And Josh Allen would have his head directly fixated on his target the entire time of every single rep, and Mayfield was still more accurate. Like, that to me, that says everything. Yeah. Like, I don't, you could say whatever you want. You could, you could show these highlight videos of him throwing across his body at Wyoming, mind you, where he couldn't win games uh, on his own against competition that you would say, come on, dude, you got to win. 
I mean, I don't care. I don't care if you have Tanner Gentry at at your peak, you know, as your number one receiver, you got to do better. Yeah. And so, so from the senior bowl, like it just, I was smirking the entire, it showed me everything that I assumed I watched before that. And I left that week and I was like, no one's changing my mind. Like I, I can't be on board with what I just saw. And anyone that thinks Allen is better than Mayfield. And I'm so happy that Mayfield was rewarded and goes number one overall to a, let's revert and change a franchise situation. Josh Allen, I guess, is in the same position, but I don't have the same expectations. Okay. We mentioned uh, Deshaun Watson earlier. Some people are all in on Deshaun Watson. And as a fantasy quarterback, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, last mm-hmm. year you saw, you said, basically, when you watched him, you talked about the, the high touchdown rate. Which, I mean, it was great. You know, he had a couple of games where he just blew up throwing the ball. You know, the running ability, he said, I mean, he, he surpasses that, that sort of baseline <laughs> that we talked about. Um, are you all in with him? Are you, are you just, I mean. No. Okay. I think I would be, right? I mean, Dynasty can really gravitate towards the young, hot shot, breakout guy. Um, not really. I mean, the ADP is the thing that gets me. Redraft and Dynasty. I mean, Dynasty... Think about this for a second. Just think about NFL quarterbacks and how long it takes to put together a profile and feel comfortable with a player saying, okay, they're the goods. They may have some oscillations, but I feel like they're an upper echelon performer for X amount of time. Would you say that the, like, just putting the position in in some rough order, because here's how Dynasty ADP is it's Aaron Rodgers, then Deshaun Watson. Does that sound right to you for a guy that did it for, what, six-plus games? No. No, exactly. Like, I don't understand. The, the one I can't understand, like, I, I, I see the allure for Deshaun Watson. And I see how this year he could be a stud fantasy quarterback. But when I look at them, when I look at him and, and the pool there, I say for redraft and, and even for dynasty, I would imagine. I'm not a big dynasty player. How could you pick Deshaun Watson over Cam Newton? Or Russell Wilson. Yeah. How could or you do Carson it? Or Carson Wentz. You're, so, you're, so, you're projecting so exactly. much by doing that. Well, don't get me started on Jimmy Garoppolo and Patrick Mahomes because they're the exact <laughs> same thing of shiny object. I saw a little bit something for a small – no, that's not the NFL quarterback position. We've seen this wrap around and turn out to where you know it rebounds from high to low in the next year quickly. And if they don't do it for two, three years and, and kind of build up that sample size, man, go with steady Eddie, go with the guy that we've seen do it before, because there's a lot of risk here. And looking at his like fantasy points per opportunity. I mean, he basically is the next reincarnate from what we saw from Nick Foles. I mean, the high (laughs) touchdown rate that is unsustainable. He scored a boatload of touchdowns on touches, whether it was rushing or passing. Yes. He has two good wide receivers, Yes, he has a good infrastructure there in Houston, but it's not sustainable. Aaron Rodgers hasn't sustained this. Peyton Manning didn't sustain this. Tom Brady hasn't sustained this. And we think Deshaun Watson is the oracle, and he will. And I just, to me, he's one of the clearest avoid players. He's going way too high. I think he should be, you know, outside the top four, five, six of the position. And if you want to take a shot there and then pack, you know, put him with somebody more stable and secure, I'm fine with that play. But way too high. It's assumptive, as you said. They're assuming what we saw is what we're going to get. 
nothing else can happen. Oh, a lot else can happen. He strikes me as as one of like you just said, you know, Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz. Let's just keep going on the list. I mean, Matt Stafford. I mean, I think the floor outcome for Matt Stafford is higher than Deshaun Watson. And he's going rounds upon rounds. I mean, he may not be able to see Deshaun Watson from where they go differing in yeah. drafts. All right. Um, and we're not going to dig deeper into the Jimmy G and Patrick Mahomes because I feel like we've talked about them both every week yes. on here. But um, okay. anyway, moving on. I haven't talked about too much. Marcus Mariota. Is he going to yeah. get better now? Does that change <laughs> offensive coordinator and style and away from, hey, let's run the ball eight, you know, pajillions. That's an overstatement, right. but you know what I mean. Is, 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 are we set up to see sort of a, a, some level of breakout for Marcus Mariota? I think the way we've looked at it, I mean, he, in 2016, he had a lot of touchdowns based on his opportunities. He's yet to throw for more than, what, 460, 475 passes. So there's a limiting element there of we think he's good, the volume has been so anemic and Derrick Henry goes along with this, right? Of, of we got to start seeing something and not seeing something in these little drips, um, from game to game or rep to rep. I mean, it's gotta be, it's time. And for, for Mariota, I believe, you know, the mobility, the accuracy, the, I would say competency we see. And then when things break down again, it breaks down. And, the weapons, let's also remember, he just got Corey Davis, who mm-hmm. was injured a little bit. And you say, what else did he have? A 32, 33-year-old Delaney Walker, Richard Matthews. I, I just Who's I, not a bad I, player. I, I think he's an underrated no, player. No, he's underrated. But the point is, if he's one of the first guys you say, that's not yeah. – let, let's face it. That's one of the worst uh, set of surrounding weapons in the NFL. So okay. you have low volume. You have – Give the young guy some help. We're seeing Mitch Trubisky this year, for example. He's gotten some help, right? I mean, they have brought in, they backed up the truck in free agency. They drafted some guys. Mariota has not had the same tiebreakers. So if you get his volume, and we've seen this, you know, Ben Roethlisberger or Russell Wilson or these guys that have low, uh, Matt Ryan even, low volume early on, it's got to get up. You can only do so much on, you know, less than 30 attempts a game. I mean, that's basically like running the wishbone these days, right? I mean, right. with how the NFL throws the ball and gets in shotgun and, you know, the short passes, now the long run, that I think, and he's got, again, Mariota is so beaten down because he threw more interceptions than touchdowns. It was a horrible year, but we've seen with Rivers, Eli Manning, even good quarterbacks have these down years where things go wrong. Mm-hmm. And so Mariota, I think he's one of the better kind of talent buys, and you say, it may not be completely fixed with what they brought in this year, but I think it's getting better. It's surely going to be better than last year. And in two to three years, I think he's going to be on the track that we thought he was going to be maybe a year or two ago. It just takes time. And, and quarterbacks don't really reach their peak until they're, you know, 25, 26 to 30 kind of range. And th- by then we know who they are. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like he's one of those that's going to maybe mire a little more before he gets better. But I really like him long term. Okay. Um, you mentioned Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah. So, new, new head coach who's an offensive, he's going to be the play caller, right? Um, Allen Robinson's there. Everyone's favorite guy, Trey Burton, is there. Um, they're going to use Cohen Moore out of the backfield, we think, which is pretty cool. There, there's, there's a lot to like it, if, of the, about the situation with Mitchell Trubisky. 
Do you yeah. think that bears out in Mitchell Trubisky getting better? Should, should we be intrigued, excited, what have you, about Mitchell Trubisky right now? I think so. Um, and I liken what I saw because there's certain quarterbacks, again, good pedigree, and the situation stinks. And that qualifies for Trubisky. That I go back, I watch the tape, you know, with a clean mind. You know, I do watch the games uh, during, during the season, but in January, February, you go back and just watch basically all their throws. And I did this with Jared Goff because it was bring out your pitchforks. Jared Goff is a bust. And we're not quite, we weren't there in January with Mitch Trubisky, but the Bears weren't on people's consciousness. They weren't a good offense. But I saw a lot to like. When I see accuracy and functionality in the short to intermediate range of the field, especially with a guy that doesn't have a lot of help, and that's what I saw with Jared Goff. And he needed a complete reboot. And we saw that with Mitch Trubisky. They backed up the Brinks truck for Allen Robinson with 1A money. You know, that's a good start. And they brought in Trey Burton. Again, I'm not a big fan. That's a separate conversation, but he's going to help. And I I feel like Trubisky, again, he avoided the catastrophic last year, only through seven picks, which you can say is a victory. How much they just put on his shoulders. They were behind in games. Okay, let's go see what you got. Throw it around the yard. And he would throw an interception and, and come right back and be competitive the rest of the game was, was a lot of the game script I saw where they would get behind, but he wouldn't hemorrhage late in games and it would turn into you know two, three, four interceptions. And so for Trubisky, I do feel like certain circles, I talk to people and it's too hot. Like people really think he could be top 10 and from a fantasy sense. And I don't really, I'm not going to go there this year. I think it's going to still be a little more tempered. Um, and there's a lot of established better options he would have to hurdle to get there from a competitive standpoint at the position. But I do think we see a lot of strides this year. I do think the recalibration of their offense and tools is a big positive. So I I think he is the perfect, you draft him, you know, in the teens somewhere as your upside play and pair him with an Eli Manning, you know, pair him with a guy, you know, a Matt Ryan or, or someone Matt Stafford that you just, is more of a steady Eddie and sturdy profile. And if Trubisky hits, I think that he's the perfect complement in a committee like that. Okay. Let's move on to running back. This year, where will Saquon Barkley rank at the end of the season among running backs, fantasy-wise? I'll say running back eight. Eight? Um, That's low. That's lower than I expected to hear. Sure. All right, I'll go as high as six. We'll, we'll, uh, I think it's going to be volume. Let's face it. The Giants are still not a good run game. They have improved. Um, I, the part that bugs me is that, again, he's, he's a monster, is that the, the transition in, a lot of times year two, year three, we see the big year for the, for the young, prototypical blue-chip running back. And so I think it's going to be good. There's going to be plenty of highlights. I don't really like for the people that are drafting him at, you know, in the top three or four of redrafts or something, I I wouldn't really go there. I wouldn't put him above the other guys that are in that zone. I think there's a big four um, from the drafts I've Mm -hmm. done that I think there's a lot of of surrounding takeaway targets, takeaway production. So if he gets all the way to the top two or three at the position, I mean, does that mean Beckham misses time? Is that mean Evan Ingram is a big year to to him? disappointment sterling shepherd is a very good ancillary guy I, I just think there's a lot of competition for targets and production in general that if everyone kind of hits their mark the ancillary is for me eli manning is going to <laughs> i mean he's one of my favorite plays this year just because you look at what's around him and he can really just be the point guard but for, for barkley again i think he's his floor will be you know running back 12 
but but I, I the ceiling I kind of question right out of the gate because of just the surrounding talent and the fact that he's not going to an Ezekiel Elliott Dallas type situation. All right. So dynasty wise, what running backs would you draft ahead of him? Um, I can see the argument for taking Saquon Barkley, the first running back. Whoa. And that, that may be hot takey, but here, here it is. That with running back, I say this. When a guy checks every box, so draft pedigree, check. Elite metrics, rare metrics, check. Prototypical size, sorry, Christian McCaffrey, check. Um, durability, uh, off the field, all that kind of stuff, check. When all of that matches up, these guys are as close in fantasy projection, draft a rookie, bet on a rookie, highly land, bulletproof as there is, period. So when you are getting a Sequan Barkley, and offhand, I believe he's like three years younger than uh, Todd Gurley. Mm-hmm. He's four or five years younger than Le'Veon Bell. And I, I think the other one is, is Ezekiel Elliott that you would compare. Davey Johnson, he's also four or five years younger. That is most of a prime career for a running back. So if you can lock in and get your running back at 21 and say, here's what the next five, six years look like with, with good confidence, that is worth a ton. So I think we could easily look at the, we, we fast forward to January and what people are doing in dynasty drafts. Even if Barkley is the running back two at that juncture in terms of where he's going off the board, Plenty are going to value him, and you will just not get a look. So for people, if you're sitting there at you know, 106 in your startup draft, I, that's the only chance you get. So right. I get it. And, and you are taking a chance. He has not done it. But of the profiles of they haven't done it, that is the one profile that you can say it's, it, it's warranted to go all in, and you're probably going to be right. Because every running back, back could get hurt. Out of the other three or four, you might draft ahead of them. Ezekiel Elliott's in the suspension program. Right. Does that make you feel good? Like, at least you don't have that with, with others. Le'Veon Bell is too. Where will Le'Veon Bell play? David Johnson's coming back from injury. The team isn't that good. He's the oldest of the bunch at 26-something. You know, Todd Gurley is, is your assumptive number one. And, and Elliott's the closest in age. I mean, you could say Barkley doesn't have any of the concerns that the other guys have. And if you want to say a situation stinks, that's actually a, a feather in your cap saying it could get better. Yeah. So I, I just, I, I totally get it. And from my numbers, when I do my uh, dynasty values and system for the trade calculator and all that, it, again, Barkley's right there. And I don't argue with anyone. If I, I don't blink an eye when I see him go highly in the first round. Okay. After Barkley. Yep. I've been, this is, I started this in early June. So this is the fifth podcast I've done for the season so far. And I've been chatting a lot with people about sort of that next tier of running backs that in redraft leagues are going third, fourth, fifth round. Um, Geis and Michelle and Penny and Ronald Jones and Royce Freeman. And we could even, from a dynasty standpoint, we could throw Nick Chubb into this and maybe Karrion Johnson. Who? Huh. I love how you said from a dynasty perspective. So Nick Chubb to you has little to no chance this year? No, but Nick Chubb, he's being drafted lower in redrafts because of the crowded situation. Yes. Who do you, who do you love there? Who of in that crowd? I mean, for redrafts in the third, fourth, fifth, I I keep saying I think I'm out on most of these guys. Yeah, you, I agree. Who do you like? Well, because yeah, because I like the the guys that are beaten down, like Lamar Miller, for example. Yeah, when you get to a certain zone, I mean, he's a running back one with Deshaun Watson last year, and there's who's going to challenge him early? 
if for, Foreman may be relevant, but I don't think right away. But yeah, so so I like to go that route typically in that zone. But of the rookies, and so this is agnostic to redraft or dynasty. My two guys have been, and, and this is again, I'm not comparing the results. I'm comparing the in this zone of rookie drafts, and I'm assuming redrafts will be, you know, close to this. Kieran Johnson and Royce Freeman have been my guys. Um, they're, they were available, you know, 107 to 110 in rookie drafts, and they're they're relatively cheap. I haven't seen them, you know, way up in, in redrafts. That people I think are overstating the quote unquote competition for Kieran Johnson. Guy was a top 50 pick. He has elite metrics, big time program, big time recruit. Everything checks out. And they're worried about some over the hill, the Garrett Blunt. That to me is one of the more ridiculous um, fantasy fears. <laughs> that oh no, and then Theo Riddick, yeah, he's going to catch some passes because that's all he does. That's the only thing he can do. So Kieran Johnson again, they didn't draft him. I, I think he could be a finally Detroit has a run game with, where we have some confidence dating back to what Joyke Bell. So <laughs> I, for for me, Kieran Johnson. And he walks into a team that is fully functional as a passing game. So this is exciting for me. So I think Kyrian Johnson's one. Royce Freeman, he's in the top 2% of my running back prospect model. Uh, The guy's an absolute monster, almost 230 pounds, rush pass, big-time recruit. And, man, uh, we really think Devontae Booker, who we've kind of squashed down, and a a mid-day three pick is going to be the reason. I think by October, I mean, Royce Freeman could be – a lower level Alvin Kamara where you get to the second half of the season and I'm not saying he's putting up 25 points a game or something, but he's an auto start. Like you're not even thinking if you're, if you're putting Royce Freeman in your lineup. So those are the two that I really love. And then I'll say a, a sleeper is Kalen Balazs mm-hmm. that I really like uh, Frank Gore because everyone discounts him. And I, I actually looked up the last time he didn't get 15 touches a game in a season was like 11 years ago or something. So I don't, I, I don't think Miami brought in Frank Gore to just be some player coach. Like, okay. I, I have zero faith in Kenyon Drake. Zero. And Kalen Balaj is the upside guy. He's the one profile in the last two or three years that you can squint your eyes and go, this is some form of David Johnson. Because think back to David Johnson. Again, he wasn't what he is now. I mean, right. he was a third-round pick out of a small school, and we said, can he run? We know he can catch. That's exactly Kalen Balaj. Exactly. And actually, Kalen Balash has more juice. So this is interesting, and I think it could whip around. And we've seen Miami have some, some twists and turns. People left Jay for dead. Yep. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he turns around, and he's a, a high-level producer before uh, he was jettisoned out of town. So for Kalen Balash, I think if he hits, again, he may give you a zero. So redraft or dynasty, but he could also be the guy that's not in that top seven or eight uh, you know, that typically go high of the rookies that – uh, that if he hits, it could be huge and fantastic. Um, why don't you have any faith in Kenyon Drake? Because uh, he at Auburn, he struggled. He was, the, he was a pass-catching profile at yeah. Auburn, which typically doesn't go well when you go to the NFL. Uh, Josh Jacobs, uh, he's the new guy in that regard. That also, he's on the thinner side. He's a taller back without the, the big heft and bulk. And I, I don't see him as an overtly physical runner. He was a late day two pick. And I didn't see enough from him last year. And again, they brought in Frank Gore, one of the best running backs we've seen. They brought in Kalen Blotch. That is heavy to me with waiting in the draft how they did. Kalen Blotch was the one guy that you say, Drake needs to avoid this. And he didn't. So I think this is an up in the air backfield. 
And Kenyon Drake in Dynasty is one of my bigger sells. I wouldn't draft him in redraft. I just think it's a very tenuous situation that he could – week one starter, and he could be unstartable by October. All right. So of these this, – this tier of back that we talked about, who are you – who are you out on among the rookies that other people seem to be in on? Oh, Ronald Jones. Okay. <laughs> I am out on Ronald Jones. I have zero shares in any format. Uh, I was out on him during the, the, the prospect phase. And here's the thing. Like, okay, he pulled up Dorgas 40. That uh, the dude wasn't running 4-4-0 anyway. Like, if you kind of look at what he was doing, that, he wasn't on that pace. So let's stop assuming that. He's a, he's a smaller back in how he runs. He's, he's on the thinner side. He's on the taller side. So even his, what, 205, 208, something like that, he doesn't run big. And I don't think he has a lot of wiggle either. He's a straight line, give me a runway. That to me sounds like the worst kind of running back to draft highly and expect big results. Like, hey, if you get loose, you might outrun a safety. That's a, that's a great profile for the NFL. <laughs> like, I mean, C.J. Spiller was electric and ran a 4-2 something. He had one big year. Yeah. One, doing that. So for Ronald Jones, uh, he goes to a backfield with a lot of expectations. I have no doubt at some point they're going to go, all right, time to rev you up. Ronald Jones is the lead back. I just think he's going to fail. And he's a guy that back at USC, he's not even a big-time pass catcher. This last year, here's how it worked out. A freshman came in, Stephen Carr, true freshman, and was the primary and preferred pass catcher in situ- critical situations to a junior potential first round pick at that time ronald jones yeah that's a horrible sign for a guy that he needs to be a ppr dynamo he needs to catch a bunch of passes because i don't see him grinding in from the two yard line a lot do you so he's got a I, so i question the passing game i question the size and durability and then i question his style as a runner and then he goes to a team that needs the answer they tampa bay passed on so many good backs to draft ronald jones in that spot it was sickening and so, so one of my big plays because of this is Peyton Barber. He's going so late, and I think by default, later in the year, they're going to go back to Peyton Barber. That's an interesting so, one. Okay. So having one take on Jones makes me really go all in with a sleeper tag on, on Peyton Barber. Okay. Um, I want to go real quick because we are running long, which is, this is great stuff, but I don't want to go too long for everybody. Um, the, some of the second-year backs, I want, I want brief 30 seconds. Sure. Dalvin Cook. Uh, I dig him. Um, I totally get it. He's a tweener size. And what he did in a small sample size last year, um, I'm kind of in. But if you have to pay, I don't know where he's going. If he's going where you have to draft him as your running back one, I'm, I'm half in on that. Okay. Joe Mixon. I'm all the way in. Um, I think he's going to be the biggest upside leverage play for this year. Love him. <sighs> See, I can't. I can't Why bring can't myself you? in on that one. Why can't you? He was a first. The only reason he fell was because of the off the field. I know stuff. that. What okay. I can't. What what I keep saying is, Gio Bernard's still there. Okay. And I like Gio. I think he's a nice yeah. back. Yes. And I don't think they're going to look. I, I I know that I can't discount a back just because he's not going to be on the field every single play because hardly every, I mean, there's four guys like that, but I feel like Gio is going to touch the ball enough to make a second round Joe Mixon. I'm not sure how productive. Here's my argument for Mixon okay. is that if you're making a short list of guys that can win your league, 
at running back, he's on my list. Okay. And it just, it's true. If he's not on that list, you can't draft him where he's going. And I will say I've done a couple mocks, and I haven't ended up with Joe Mixon yet. So his, his redraft ADP is probably a touch high for me. Okay. Um, I, I will say that in the discussions I've had, <laughs> I joked last week that last year I talked about Joe Mixon incessantly. And he was the guy who we talked about more than anyone. And I swore I wasn't going to do it again. And I'm getting okay. going down that road. But I will <laughs> notice that every time I brought up Joe Mixon and my feelings on him, the person that I've talked to has disagreed with me. Oh, okay. So there you go. Um, Christian McCaffrey is the last guy I want to talk about. Is he, is he going to be a better runner? He ran he more least- better later in the well, year. But, but yeah, the, I, I kept yelling on my, my, uh, my, my tape shows every week when I do a, a review and, and a summary of all the games I watched. It was, dude, can you break a tackle? Right. Can you elude a runner? It was like three months where we saw like five or less. And for a guy that was supposed to be a dynamo, and now, I don't know, has he done the, uh, oh, he's bulking up? Have we seen that yes. blurb yet? Yes. Okay, well, that's I, I live in Charlotte. Trust me, we've oh, seen God. that. Oh, God. Okay, so, so he's what? He's put on five to ten pounds of quote-unquote pure muscle. This oh, my God, look at his biceps. He's huge. Okay, so yeah, so I'm, I'm more out than I was before knowing that just because that's the typical tweener-sized guy thing to do. And he needs to be more elusive. He needs to be the, you know, catch 80, 90 balls and get to it that way. I think they need to have a lead back and a primary interior runner like they had before, no matter what, going forward. I wasn't a big fan, and I thought he was overdrafted with where they took him. So I, I, I don't see this progression to, oh, you know, like we saw with Giovanni Bernard, for example, his rookie year. They, you know, he got plenty of carries, and then he kind of morphed into what backs like that should be. Mm-hmm. And so... For McCaffrey, I think they're going to force him a little bit. I don't think it's going to be successful this year. Could the production be a little better with volume that he's going to get? Yes. But, but I'm, not, I'm not a big fan in thinking he takes the leap and all of a sudden he becomes Deonta Freeman or something. All right. But if he catches 80 to 90 balls and plays in the slot, PPR-wise, yep. he's, got, he's certainly got value. But, but eventually, the yeah. team will go, it's not optimized to give him this many touches. He's not doing as much as we want with it. And DJ Moore could do that slot stuff and, and do the actually breaking a tackle <laughs> stuff because he's, he's bigger. And uh, he can I, – I, again, I think they can, they can scheme that up more. They're on Christian McCaffrey. And I, I hope he rises to the challenge. I'm skeptical. All right. Um, folks, listeners to this podcast can get a free 10-day Rotowire trial at rotowire.com slash pod. No credit card needed to do that. That lets you check out almost all the features on the site. Again, that's rotowire.com slash pod. Okay, wide receiver. Um, you talked about you mentioned DJ Moore. Let's start with DJ Moore. Um, wh- what do you think, Panther? Again, uh, as a as a Panthers follower, um, I, I I wonder. I mean, fr- from a redraft standpoint, I don't think it really yeah. works. You know, even people want to get excited because there's so many mouths to feed. But right. h- how much do you like him? I like him uh, again. Elite metrics, round one guy. And if you're if you're taking a profile, you want thick, productive, athletic. He fits all those things. Um, I wonder, you know, I I wanted to see a little bit more in terms of a well-rounded what his highlight plays were. So is he going to be a, you know, catch and move type guy again? Those can succeed, but you got to have a big picture systemic offensive plan for him in the NFL. So I'm skeptical this year. Like you said, I think there's not enough targets to go around. Um, I think it's going to be a 2019 plus valuation for him, but I would say I'm, Market neutral to slightly optimistic on him. Um, I've seen a lot of people higher than I am. Steve Smith certainly higher. 
<laughs> yeah. Remember what he said during the draft? Yes. <laughs> he said, folks, to refresh your memories, he said, this franchise has never been able to replace me until now. <laughs> he loved DJ Moore. Loves, loves, loves. Um, all right, let, let's go to a couple of other rookies. Um, you mentioned Christian Kirk earlier. You are high on Christian Kirk. Me and Kanta. Yes, um, I, I see Kirk as he's going to walk in. I think he's one of the sneaky bets at wide receiver to catch 65, 70 balls. There's not a lot to go around. I think he can play outside. Everyone is pigeonholing him to the slot. I don't really know why. He has a lot of similarities as a prospect to Odell Beckham. I know that's you can't say that name, <laughs> but let's not let's remember that Odell Beckham before he did what he did the second half of his rookie year was not that guy. People were dropping him. Um, that's the headline right there. Backs. By the way, when I promote this, this is my headline right now. Christian Kirk I'm is Odell sure Beckham. Is Odell Beckham that? But but I I love the guy on and off the field. Um, I think he can play inside and outside, and I think you're going to see him outside with Larry Fitzgerald there in year one more than we think. Wide open targets, and he can do everything. He's a better version of Jarvis Landry. And again, Jarvis Landry coming out was not the guy that's being peppered 160 targets a year. I think he's more athletic and and more explosive than Landry, and he can do all those same things if if you're creating touches. And he's in a perfect environment that they need to create touches right away for him. Wow. All right. That's a good one. Um, I want to see one thing real quick, ADP-wise. Christian Kirk, 207 in the NFFC for redraft. So there you go. I'm in. Um, The last rookie of the first round, Calvin Ridley. How does he fit across from Julio? Well, let's assume that I'm not even assuming to start the year he's going to have that. I think it's going to be Mohamed Sanu and Ridley grows into the role. And again, this is not the equation I like. I'm one though that says Julio Jones could be on. And maybe you put that title to the show this, that uh, Julio Jones strikes me as a Calvin Johnson type guy in the sense that he gets beaten up. He's made a truckload of money and I could see him not going longevity-wise as long as people might assume or project. But for the meantime, the number two job across from Julio Jones is not great from a fantasy upside perspective. So, for Ridley, and I hate the profile for Ridley, let's start there, that he's, he's old, he didn't produce enough, he went to a program where everyone gets boosted up, and actually the parallel here to Julio Jones, since Julio Jones, people have wanted to anoint sort, certain Alabama receivers... Yep. None of them are even in the same stratosphere. So can we please stop? And they're all the same. And they're all, in my opinion, underwhelming and overdrafted and overhyped and too much name cachet. Ridley falls in line with that. I think he's a nice player. I don't think he should have gone in round one. And I, I don't have high hopes as, again, the upside if he's the number two there. And if he gets pushed into a n- number one role, uh, I don't like that either. Do you feel like those guys, those Alabama guys, is funny. I, f- I feel like the, the phrase that's coming into my head is that they're finished products. Oh, God. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like Amari Cooper. There, there's similarities for me. But and, Cooper and Julio, I mean, again, they are the guys that you look at their entire profile. Elite. I don't care what program they played for. Elite. And if you're looking for a guy, again, that's, there's a guy, Terrell Shavers, that redshirted last year. Again, he's 6'6", and he ran a 4'3-something coming out. Uh, as a recruit. So if you want to say that guy on the path to potentially squinting your eyes and being Julio Jones, I get it. But a guy that's like 180-something soaking wet that underproduced because he was older than everybody, God, that, that's my worst wide receiver profile. All right. Um, any rookies we're not talking about enough? 
Besides I'll Christian Kirk. Yeah, quick, I'll say James Washington and Traquan Smith. Uh, when the Saints draft somebody relatively high in the passing game, I perk up. Traquan Smith fits that. Pretty wide open. Ted Ginn I like, but he could move up to the number three and maybe number two role within the first couple of years. James Washington, I mean, the Steelers just keep getting it right. You know, I mean, talk about a guy that, that fell a little bit. Oh, not a big-time athlete, not this, not tall enough. Uh, he's going to be a good player, just like Juju Smith-Schuster fell to them last year. So they're doing it the right way. I don't know what the upside is there, but uh, see, you're going to see him on the field as the number three and, and single coverage for days. Um, so I like both of them. All right. You mentioned Odell Beckham. Does the injury worry you at all, or are we just all systems go with him? Um, everything I've seen is that he's going to be all right uh, for training camp. Until something changes, I'm all right. I, I do worry about the singular upside of any player there. Um, just because again, they, they keep adding to this all-star lineup of skill position guys with the giants. So maybe, you know, true number one overall wide receiver has a a little, a few lower percentage points based on his supporting cast. All right. So we talked about guys who were first round picks this year. There were three top 10, top nine wide receivers last year, Mike Williams, Corey Davis, Mm -hmm. and John Ross. And for various reasons, their seasons were underwhelming. Um, Mike Williams was hurt all year. Uh, John Ross was hurt a lot of the year. Corey Davis spent some time hurt, kind of didn't do that great. Who's, who's, who's going to help this year? I mean, you don't have to just name one. Oh, I'm only naming one. The only one guy can help. Um, and it's a pretty easy answer. It's Corey Davis because the other two have strong wide receiver ones to contend with for their upside all right so i and and that is a big stumbling block like looking at nfl depth charts and how fantasy points are aligned if you're going to be the number two for your team number one your your quarterback better be top five or eight i mean and they have to be huge and then you have to have the right situation like no tight end presence and no wide receiver three presence how much does the running back catch the ball and that's to get you know to kind of wide receiver two land so I think the only guy that could be true impact and the most likely with the highest floor is Corey Davis. The other two, I think, are you're looking for strides. You're looking for moments because they pretty much had no moments and no strides in year one. All right. So, so Mike Williams, the fact that the Hunter Henry absence, right? you, you, you don't think that, that get, let, let's say, a path to targets for Mike Williams. You're not buying that so much. Well, is, is 60, 70, 75 targets enough? I don't think so. I mean, that's going to put you on wide receiver four or five land, in my opinion. I, I think so. I mean, are you asking, is he going to be like a jump ball threat in the red zone? He's going to get eight touchdowns. I mean, I don't maybe know. that's I don't know possible. That's sure. But, sure. but that, but you, you don't want to, I understand you don't want to invest in that. Tyrell Williams to me is, is a functional NFL player. I think it takes more than just like showing up for Mike Williams to camp and he's going to be ahead of him. I think it takes more than that. So, yeah, I'm skeptical. And also, I was skeptical of the profile in general. I mean, the movement, um, he was going to be, I hate to bring this name up because he did nothing so far, but Laquan Treadwell, like in the sense that he was going to need to be a contested catch maven in the NFL, in mm-hmm. my view. And I think he can do more than Treadwell, uh, who has done nothing. But uh, again, I'm skeptical of that profile. Obviously, at Clemson, he did a lot of that. So it's possible. And Rivers is a guy that isn't afraid to stick it in there. So he would be my second choice in John Ross. Dynamic speed, but uh, does that translate? I thought he was overdrafted by the NFL. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Um, one guy we mentioned already. I'm looking for for guys to emerge. Maybe you know who whoever who have been in the league for more than a couple of years, or at least a couple of years. Um, the first one I want to ask about is Sammy Watkins. People have been. I feel like people have been talking about people on this podcast have been talking him up a bit that the situation seems to be better for him. Are, are you still? Um, 
I don't know how bullish you were on Sigma Walken, so I won't say still, but how, how are you feeling about him right, right now? Blue chip talent. Uh, a couple years ago, again, he was. I think he had 18 points per game um, at his peak, and that wasn't even at full usage. I'm skeptical of Tyree Kill, so that's what makes me maybe more intrigued than the situation. But it, it's pretty loaded there. I mean, two good yeah. receivers, Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt. And then, again, my biggest pivot point is Patrick Mahomes. We just don't know. I treat him like a rookie. I view him. He had one start. It was okay. I, I do trust Andy Reid, but let's face it. I mean, going from Alex Smith, who you kind of know what you're getting, to Patrick Mahomes, we don't know. So I, that's the part that, that gives, me, gives me pause here. So for Watkins, if you get him as your wide receiver, three, four, five, and, and just say there's, there's profit and money to go up from there, that's fine. But I don't think you should go in expecting that. And the opportunity, I, I do think his odds of being the true number one there and Tyree Kill, not so much, are much higher than the average person thinks. Okay. They, pay, they paid him big money. Yep. And, and this is, I mean, Andy Reid puts it out. So I just think that this is going to be, they are going to give him an opportunity to be the 1A and the big dog there. Now, what does that mean? Is that 110 targets? Is that enough for Watkins? Like, those are, those are the bigger questions. I mean, ADP-wise, he's worth it right now right. because no one is, I mean, he is just going seventh round, I want to say. Hold on. That's, that's perfect. He is going, actually, let's say sixth now. Sure. So but he still could be your wide receiver three. Yep. That's the point. Yeah. Um, is Amari Cooper going to get better? It's not like he's been bad. Right. But you kind of want more. And last year there were, you know, other issues. There's some injuries, right? But, but you kind of looked and, you know, well, the red zone targets aren't there because Crabtree was stealing them. And <laughs> the first two years you went, well, it's good, but, man, right. is, is there more here? Is there, I will is there say, more here? I will say this. If we've seen the best from Amari Cooper in his career, and this is the argument I used for, what, two, three years ago with Devontae Adams. When he had the opportunity in the ankle and it just didn't work out, and then I said, from a metric perspective, and for Amari Cooper, you add in he was a top five pick. If we have seen his best, if it was 82 for 11.49 and five a couple years ago, if that was his best, he will be a massive disappointment. And I side with historical context of saying, that would very, very much be surprising. I don't really trust the Raiders system and, and, and you know the Gruden addition, and now they're bringing all these old guys. And I don't know. I, I don't really have a good sense for how that team is going to go this year. Um, I'm skeptical. But for Cooper, I trust. I trust the profile. Will it be this year? Uh, you know, I mean, does, does Jordy Nelson maybe has – I think he's going to get force-fed. I don't think Nelson has as much left as Gruden and the rest of them that brought him in would hope. Right. So skeptical of that, skeptical of Martavis Bryant, but they did make additions and, and Crabtree is gone. So I, for Cooper, I think, again, it's going to be maybe another year of, you know, he's okay. Say wide, it's going to be way better than last year, but wide receiver, you know, mid to lower wide receiver two and some wide receiver, you know, three, four wide receiver one games. But, you know, I think he will get to the point of getting where we think he's going. Okay. Not this year. Um, the last one, fourth yeah. year, Devontae Parker. I saw you got him in a, in a draft the other day, right? Just, oh, yeah. Um, seventh round? Seventh round in Scott Fishbowl, um, which, uh, which is tight end premium and, and super flex, yeah. Okay, so last year at this time, Devontae Parker was the, the flavor. You know, he was that guy that we talked about earlier, you know, who's getting all the buzz and the juice in July. And Devontae Parker was one of those guys. Third-year breakout, so much talent, 
yards per catch. Oh my goodness, he, he's big, he's <laughs> fast, he's awesome. He's gonna be a league winner. Blah blah blah. And it didn't happen. Um, you know what this is? Post hype breakout. Post Is it a post hype breakout? I think so. Um, I, I know not everyone's on board with me, and that's fine. I mean, he's going again at low wide receiver three, maybe your wide receiver four on a on a. And again, if you wait, if you go heavy elsewhere, if the format dictates, I'm fine going higher because let's look at what's going on. He was third in wide receiver targets for his own team last year. But here's what I get: they, so they drafted him in the first round. Jarvis Landry was there. Yep. Like so, I really think the pivot point is Landry leaving. His true breakout wasn't going to occur until Landry left. 160 targets. You cannot break out behind that. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, so Parker's been miring around. And again, I, this is not going to be an advertisement for saying I trust the player. He's been very up and down. When he came out, I thought he was a, this is a bad word, but I thought he was a soft player. I thought for his frame, he didn't play big enough. And that's still a question I have. What I don't question, though, is if he's not the answer, this is a game we play at, at UTH all the time. If, if the answer is not a Devontae Parker breakout, what happens in Miami? Nothing. Think, that would be zero. Well, no. I actually think there is an answer. The tight end. So, no. When right. I have clarity on a situation, this is where it gets fun for me. So if I can get Parker, and then if I say, if it's not Parker, what's the answer? Okay, I think we know what Kenny Stills is, which is, again, boom, bust, best ball guy. And, you know, about 100 targets, that's what he should get, sure. And, and if he gets that again. But Parker has the upside to get, again, a lot of what Landry was getting last year. So 130, 140 targets – that gets you on breakout level just by volume alone, unless you're Des Bryant, <laughs> who you can still mire as what, wide receiver 30 or something. But if he's not the play, I really think the play is Danny Amendola. Okay. And Amendola is so cheap. So if I can get Parker and Amendola, I think I'm pretty covered. And I'm going to get someone that vastly outperforms what they do. So again, don't trust Parker, the player, but I think the profile, and again, he was hot last year. Everyone's off of him. Kind of reminds me of Devin Funches or Devontae Adams or these guys where we put it on them one year, the equation doesn't really work, and then it ends up being the next year. And I think, and we've got impatient. This is year four. We 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 it used to be wide receiver year three breakout, year four breakout. That was common. Those articles were around all the time, every single year. But now it's like, oh, what'd you do as a as an incoming rookie? If you didn't do it by the second year, that's it. You're a bust. Like, <laughs> why didn't the team just drop you? Like, so. I, so we, we, we get impatient, and I think Parker is the exact example of you just had to wait one more year. I think he's going to beat his ADP rather easily. Okay. Let's get to tight ends. Um, first, sure. so last year the Bucks spent a high pick on O.J. Howard. 10th or 12th, I forget which one of those. Um, and I remember talking a lot last year about how we, we weren't bullish on O.J. Howard because he was such a good blocker that they were going to use him that way too much. Um, they used him a lot as a blocker. Yep. Yeah. So now I look at the Bucks and let's you know take the Jameis factor out of it for you know I don't know how much that matters, but they've still got Mike Evans, they've still got Deshaun Jackson, they've got Chris Godwin, who people you know last year looked pretty good. They still got Cameron Brait. Is is fantasy OJ Howard? going to happen soon soon uh i have, i think Brait coming back is is a big piece because winston loves Brait. they use him a lot in the red zone down the seam he's a really good player for folks that don't i mean their fantasy is coming around on him because it's been a few years now uh, of of doing quality things but 
that was the big they brought him back and I know they like to use two tight end and it's like that's going to take a third receiver off the the field a lot which I don't know is optimal but yeah for Howard he's really a best ball guy you know he's really a he's gonna have some tight end one moments but in a head-to-head starting lineup type of format I don't know how you you trust that you know I mean when do you Lock him, unless Braid is out or unless it's Mike Evans and a cloud of dust and everything erodes at, at, at wide receiver, that's not the profile I'm looking for to, to plug in a tight end. I mean, could he give you 25? Certainly. But he's going to give you a lot of one-two catch games, in my opinion. So I, I, I'm really skeptical. He's not the type of guy I gravitate towards um, in, in that range of, of team building. So, yeah, I, I think the, the, the Braid having the trust and connection and coming back when you just drafted a tight end in the first round. Yep. So there must be something there. They must have felt, you know, we have to add this weapon. We have to keep him in, in our organization. It was a very quizzical move from a cost spent at the position and draft capital perspective. Okay. Next guy, also a second year and was drafted in the first round last year, David Joku for the Browns. Mm-hmm. He has been getting – sometimes I, I overuse the phrase. Everybody likes him. It's not everybody, certainly. But Corey Grant like <laughs> he's going around 12. Okay. He's going ahead of Cam- in redraft. He's going ahead of Cameron Brait. He's going ahead of Eric Ebron, who I don't know what that's a whole other conversation. He he's going ahead of Vance McDonald, who I can see a path for. Someone was on here with me a couple of weeks ago that liked Vance McDonald this year. But I look at Joku and I go, okay, I think the Browns are gonna probably try to run a halfway decent amount. Yep. And they've got Jarvis Landry and they've got Josh Gordon. Yep. And, and I don't know that I see I, – I, I feel like people are getting more excited than I am about David Joku in the, in the short term anyway. I You're, see that the, the reasons to like him as a player, I don't know that I see the short-term path to fantasy production. I'll keep it quick because you just said exactly – it's as simple as you just said, which is they're not going to pass a lot. I mean, Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield, I, I think they're going to be a better team. But it's going to be through running the ball. They have, what, the best top three running backs potentially in the NFL when you yeah. look at three deep. And they're going to run the ball. Their defense is getting better. And then, again, Landry's a vacuum. Josh Gordon, variable. But he's going to be in there if he's not you know, at home. And, I, I, again, the targets aren't going to be there. So you can love the player. Is he hitting 100 targets? Is he hitting 95 targets? He had 60 last year. And the wide receivers topped out at 60 or 70 for the top. I mean, it's, I don't see the math. The math looks horrific. And again, he can look fabulous on his three, four, five targets he gets in a game. I just don't think he can get there. Okay. That, um, it's that simple. It's that simple. I love the player. So quick aside on this. You said, or you just mentioned the Browns backfield. And you said something earlier to the effect of how the Browns are changing the direction of the franchise, which I agree with. And they have changed. They're making good choices. I'm puzzled by the choices they've made in the backfield. Oh, right. Well, okay. I mean, here's, you, you want to tell I can tell you the story. So here's how I think it happened. And this is the only way it makes sense to me. All right. So they start the off season and they go, we got a truckload of money. We got to spend it. Yep. And Isaiah Crowell. Okay. We're not bringing him back. He's gone. We like Carlos Hyde. Okay. Let's bring him in. Let's pay him good money. Let's bring him in. Let's give him Dion Lewis money. <laughs> um, so, so they bring him in because, and I look at it this way and, and you fix some holes so that you can go best player available in the draft. So they bring in Hyde, and they say, 
if we don't see again, they had a truckload of picks, and it was a good running back draft. I don't know how they thought they were getting out of the first two rounds with a running back not being their best player available. But what I think they said was, let's bring in Hyde because we don't want to feel pressure at any certain spot to whether that was, you know, would they have taken Barkley at four? Would they have, I mean, was there a back? Again, they took Hyde, I mean, sorry, they took Chubb early in the second round. They, I don't think they, they wanted to be flexible enough to not say, Let, we got to get a running back. We got Duke Johnson and nothing else. We, we got to get a running back. But then they got to the draft and they go, well, we got a round one grade on Nick Chubb. Yeah. He's sitting there for us. We've kind of done what we wanted to do. We didn't maybe think that corner we were going to be able to get. And, and it just, well, let's take him. And so when I get to the end game, though, I say I follow draft position more than some flimsy, again, the new NFL for most of these NF, uh, for these running backs, contracts and free agency. So I follow Nick Chubb is their plan because they made that investment while having a short-term plan in Carlos Hyde. So okay, but but, but yeah, but so there's I, more I feel than they that. got to the end and they go, ah, let's let's get Nick Chubb, and then they resign. Yeah, but but so they signed him. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think I understand that part of it. Like, okay, they were surprised, and maybe you know, and after a year, Hyde doesn't hurt them. You know, doesn't hurt them too badly to get rid of Hyde. But then you re-sign Duke. <laughs> I, I think they really are in a mode of, we have money, let's keep good players. We can't have enough good players. We've struggled to have good players for a long time. Right. And now we have an embarrassment in yes. some positions of good players. And let's face it, if they have one injury on that backfield, are we still here in October talking about the same thing? We're like, no. thank goodness they have three, right? Some of these teams get down. We see you know, Atlanta give 12 touches to Teron Ward. You know, because depth <laughs> charts get so barren at points. And Carlos Hyde, let's not say he's the most bulletproof, you know, injury-resistant guy out there. Okay. He may start the year, and he may be broken in October, and it's Nick Chubb for 18-plus touches this a game. Is, this is fair enough. I, I'm, I, I really, I can't wait to watch the Browns. Yeah, um, All right, some rookies. Uh, I want to ask you about some of the rookie tight ends. Um, quick ones on these. Uh, first, Hayden Hurst, who went was the top tight end drafted, right? And um, might be in a, a decent spot, you would think. We, we talked about the, you know, the hierarchy of receivers. He might be in a decent spot. Yes, um, he's almost as old as I am. Um, that's <laughs> concerning as an incoming rookie. He has a former baseball contract. I wasn't a big fan. Uh, he had, I believe, three career college touchdowns. That's not a good indicator no. for tight end. So, And he's going to an offense that maybe be th- – he might be thrust into opportunity before again we really don't see uh, early tight ends outside of Evan Ingram and a few others that get the opportunity and do well with it so I, I'm skeptical of him and redraft not interested dynasty I'm he's been falling his draft pedigree is falling so low that I'm I'm half interested, half interested. okay um Dallas Goddard it's Goddard not Goddard right Goddard yeah love yeah. the player Love the player, the landing spot. Again, you mentioned like Nick Chubb bringing him into that. Uh, Zach Ertz is there. Uh, this strikes me as a Martellus, Bryant, uh, Martellus Bennett to Dallas situation yeah. where a high pick, yet you kind of have to wait with, through a few little highlights through largely his entire rookie contract, and then he gets a lead gig. Like I can see that storyline easily for Goddard. An injury is what he needs. If he doesn't get it, it's going to be brutal. So I love the player, but he is blocked. Okay, last one, uh, Mike Gesicki in Miami. I thought you were going to say him as the, the solution if it doesn't happen for Devontae Parker. 
Not even close. Um, I hate Gasicki. Um, he is a raw guy. He's a build-up runner. All that testing that he did, it doesn't translate to the field. He's a contested catch kind of player. I think he's going to struggle. He doesn't play in line. The Miami uh, tight end situation maybe is as bad as Dallas in terms of what you get this year. So I'm really skeptical of Gasicki, and he's being overdrafted because people see no name they recognize on that depth chart. <laughs> but I, I, I really think it's going to turn out to be a negative for him because expectations are going to be high out of the gate, and he's going to catch like 27 balls this year. Okay, so of those three, your dynasty pick is Goddard. For sure. Goddard, like. talent-wise, but the name that anyone else, uh, if I can mention someone else, yes. Mark, Mark Andrews. I think, here, here's the same thing with, we, we talked about the Browns' backfield, tight ends for the, for the Ravens. There is no way on earth they pick Hayden Hurst in the first round if you tell them before the draft, Mark Andrews will be there waiting for you in the third round. Okay. Because that, you think of it this way. Okay, you just drafted your high pedigree, you know, first round, high investment for a tight end. And then, you double up? That doesn't happen. Yeah. I think it was what, Gronk and Dwayne Allen? No, no, Dwayne Allen and Kobe Fleener with right. the Colts was round two and four, I believe, that draft. That's the closest comp I can come to. There is no way they thought Andrews was going to be there. I liked Andrews way more than, you know, tight end four or five off the board um, in, in, uh, in my pre draft. So I wouldn't be surprised if this whiplash is around and we look back in two or three years and Mark Andrews better return on investment better player than Hayden Hurst for the Ravens. All right. Heads up. Um, that's a good one. Okay, Chad, you know, everybody, we've gone an hour and ten. I don't, I don't like to go this long, but the conversation was so good, I didn't want to stop asking questions and, and talking about people. Uh, Chad, how can people get more Dynasty advice from you? Under the Helmet, weekly podcast on iTunes, all the major platforms. If you want 200-plus premium podcasts annually, go through uthdynasty.com. Subscribers, you also get a groundbreaking trade calculator for Dynasty metrics, rankings, year-round articles, all that good stuff. So thanks so much, John. You're welcome. Thank you for doing this. It's, it's always fun to do it with you. Everybody, if you like this podcast, uh, we'd appreciate it if you leave us a review and a rating. And again, on Twitter, I'm at jhalpin37. Chad is at Chad Parsons NFL. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. We're going to be next up. I think my uh, the big boss at Rotowire, Peter Schenke, is going to be talking to me about the mostly about the Colts and Vikings, but I'm sure we're going to talk about other stuff. But he's he's very focused on um, on those teams during the season. So we're going to get a lot of good stuff. And I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about Andrew Luck's shoulder. That'll be a lot of fun. And maybe his uh, Civil War tweets. You ever see that guy on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, those are great. The, the Brigadier General Andrew Luck or Colonel or Captain, whatever it is, but it's a lot of fun. Get promoted. <laughs> yeah. All right. Everybody, again, thanks for listening to this edition of the Royal Fantasy Football Podcast. For Chad Parsons, I'm John Halpin. See you next time. <laughs> Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.